So we are in, back into James, as I mentioned, uh, and we've been working through this book over the last few months. And the topic, just if you're new to, if you're here for the first time or if you've kind of forgotten where we're at with this, the, the subject of the book of James, this letter that was written uh, to the early New Testament church is a faith to live by. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ. His uh, he's, uh, father, father was Joseph, mother was Mary. Of course, we know Jesus' father is God. His earthly guardian was Joseph. So he knew Jesus Christ pretty well, but he didn't become a believer in Jesus Christ till after the resurrection. James shares with the early church, and this is probably one of the first books written in the New Testament, uh, who have been scattered now, persecuted, and they're out all over the countryside. He's sharing words with them to encourage them, but also to challenge them. He's saying that these are people who know the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament's not even really written yet. They know about God. They have a head knowledge of all these things. They are believers. They've trusted in Christ. But he says, now, here is how faith is supposed to live out in your lives. Here's the practical way that it should work. And going back to chapter 1 just briefly, it was chapter 1 was really dealing with how we respond to the difficulties of life. He begins by telling us that we can... Uh, count it all joy when we fall into all sorts of temptations and trials. He reminds us that life is full of trials and temptations. And he actually says to us that we can count that joy. Now, we don't enjoy the, the, the bad things that happen in life, but he wants us to get a bigger picture. He wants us to understand that God is working through these different trials, the external things that happen to us, and then also the temptations that we face, which, of course, not his fault. Our temptations are our own. But God uses them and works in them to move us to a greater end. And when we can see God's picture of how he's working in our life and we can trust him by faith, then we can respond and see, as I said, we can respond with joy. Joy because God promises his presence and he promises also his wisdom. And that's what we also saw in chapter 1. You see, we don't know, we don't understand what's going on in our lives. But God says, if any man lack wisdom, and that's really all of us, he says, we can go to him. We can ask him for wisdom. And he says, he'll give it to us. In fact, he'll give it to us liberally uh, uh, with great amounts if we just go to him. And we do that, of course, through prayer, through coming to him and through reading his word, the way that he speaks to us. We need to understand his perspective of things and not our own. We tend to just look at the here and now and what's going on in our lives. And he wants us to look at the end game, the end picture of what's going on, and also to receive his word, to listen to what God is telling us, and to not only hear it, but we're told to do it, to obey it. It's no use just hearing a commands and instruction from God and saying, well, I'm just going to ignore that. God wants us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And that was chapter one. Chapter two uh, turns from our own response to the difficulties of life and then turns to how we relate to one another. And he's talking really in the context here of believers in a local church. But it applies to everybody. And he began with this example of people that would come and visit the church. Maybe someone just walks in for the first time. And he said that, you know, not to show partiality. What he meant by that is that maybe someone who came in and they looked poor in their clothing, you would say, oh, you know, you just sit down there. And if someone looked like that they were rich, you'd say, oh, come up here, have the good seat. He's saying, you shouldn't treat people like that. You're looking at the outward. God looks at the heart. And 
And when you do that, you are putting value on people one over another, and God values every person. He says, you're making yourself a judge of men, and he says, there's no judge but God. So he reminds us that we are to, if we are true people of faith, we're, not to, we're to be impartial. It says in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, bond, nor, uh, bond man or free, all are one in Christ. And that unity we have in Jesus Christ, it says, you know, we are all made in the image of God. We are God's children and we should treat each other accordingly. And then he goes on in the, the latter part of chapter 2, really talking about our testimony of works. He says, you say you have faith. You claim to have faith, but how's that working out in your life? How is that actually demonstrated? Now, we know that we are saved by God's grace. It's a free gift that gets us to heaven, that we're forgiven by God, our sins are forgiven by grace. And it's through faith that we accept that. Here's a gift that God gives us, a free gift of salvation. We receive that by faith. It's not by anything we do. So it's not by our works that we're saved. But what he does say is that your faith will always represent itself and demonstrate works in your life. He used an example of how you treat other people. And he said to someone, oh, look, you see someone who's poor and they're, they're... destitute and they don't have anything to eat and you just say well I'll pray for your brother Lord bless you and he says but you have the ability to help them you should that's what faith does and he has some examples of that so they're the first two chapters and really the rest of this book is dealing with uh, our relationships one to another chapter three comes to this uh, this and it's a very well-known chapter dealing with our speech and the tongue and in the latter part of the, the chapter it deals with the idea of wisdom and these are two ideas that James has already introduced in his letter. In chapter 1, he talks about a, a bit about our speech. He says we need to be swift to hear and slow to speak. You know, we need to listen more than we talk. Some of us, that, some of us that's harder than uh, if we're talkers, but we need to do that. And particularly in that case, listen to God. Don't protest against what he has to say. It also says in chapter 1 that we, if we call ourselves religious and we don't bridle, keep control of our tongue, then our man, our man, this man's religion is in vain. You know, you say you follow God, you worship God, it's going to involve the way that you speak. So it's impossible for James to talk about a life of faith at a practical level without addressing what we say, our speech. And that's because all of us are talkers. We talk. That is what humans do. I mean, Animals don't talk, trees don't talk, people talk. We're made in the image of God, and part of that means that we can communicate. And we, every day, yes, I know some of us speak more than others, but every day each of us speak, and there's nothing more central to our human relationships than our words. It's how we communicate with each other, it's how we learn, it's how we express our feelings, our desires, it really is how we relate to one another. And think about it, um, what's more exciting when you hear a little baby and the first words that they speak? We've got our grandson, Edward, we're going to to see him tonight. And I've seen a couple of videos that I got sent recently and he's going, dad, 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 dad. And he's going, mum, 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 mum. And it's like, and it's really, it's cute. You know, you're just, and you're excited about that. Because when you see a little baby start to talk and they say things and whatever they say first time and when they say that, but it's like, wow, I'm going to be able to communicate with them. I can talk to them. I don't know if they understand, but then when they start talking back, this is exciting. This is what we really look forward to. 
and uh, it is a wonderful thing. It's um, because it's a human thing. It's, it's something that only us as humans can do, that we talk. And it, it is the start of a relationship that we can have a... I mean, yes, you can have a relationship if you don't talk, but it's, it's so much more depth when you do. And it is, as I said, it's like God-like in quality because God speaks and then, you know, we can speak as well. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but there's also, when you think about it, um, probably the saddest part of our life is when you met some of you, if you've lost loved ones is the fact that we can't talk with them anymore. We can't hear their speech. Yes, we would like to see them, but the things that we remember, what would we have wanted to say to them? What would we have wanted to hear them say? And so we understand that so integral to our life is our words, our speech. And because of that, James is going to have to talk about it. And he does, and he does it. And if you've, as we've been going through James, you realise he's pretty straight down the line. He just says it straight out. Now, we remember that whenever we read the Bible and we read what is written here, this is inspired by God. In other words, what we're reading here is not just James' words. More importantly, it is God's words to us. God is directing James in what to write. So when we read this, this is God's directions for us as well. And what we're going to see here, and James is going to argue that... uh, there's a, several truths about ourselves, the words that we speak, and they are convicting. I, every time I read this and I think about what it says, I mean, we can just gloss over it, but you think about what it says, it uh, does challenge you. Um, James is going to argue that no one can tame their tongue. It's poison. It's full of evil, he says, and no one can tame it. And this is true apart from the transforming grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. And he uses some examples here. Now, I thought, I thought, wouldn't it be good if we could illustrate that in a way that you could see how words come out of our mouths, how they affect each other? And so I asked Rachel and Esther if they could do a little role play for us to demonstrate to you, for example, what it would be like if you could actually see the words coming out of your mouth. So I'll let them uh, do something there for you for a moment. Oh. Hey, how's it going? Hey, yeah, good. You know, what, what have you been up to? What did you do yesterday? Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, I told you that actually. I remember that. You know, you were smiling and stuff. It's cute. What do you mean cute? Oh, you know, you know, the little thing you put on. Like, hey, welcome, you know, it's good to see you, you know. What do you mean put on? I see you at home, you know, you grumpy Rachel, leave me alone, you know. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. What, are you saying you can't be nice to people? No, I'm saying you can be nice to people if you wanted to be, but I'm just saying you're a little bit, you know. Hey, I'm fake. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, no, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think you're totally fake. Hey, well, at least I'm not outrightly rude like you. <laughs>
Okay, well, good illustration. <laughs> what if you could see the words coming out of your mouth? A few things we noticed there, of course, mostly was the words came flying out. Some of them stick, some of them don't. Every time we speak words to one another. And sometimes we can, those words can get heated and they can come out and they can explode like those little things. And then when, we, when this happens, we sort of say to ourselves, well, I wish I could take those words back. And if you look at that silly string, could you stuff it back in the... No, you can't, you can't stuff these words back. Once the words are out, the words uh, are there and it's, it's impossible to put them back. Now, God, God can give grace and forgiveness. But it reminds us of just how important our words are and how we need to be careful about our words. Notice also that when the string came out, was it the nozzle that gave the, is it, did it all come out of the nozzle? No, it came out of what was inside the can. And this is what we're going to see this morning. Our words are so powerful because what they do is they come out of us. Our words really reveal who we are. Words stick, they can't be taken back, they come from within and we need to be careful about the words we use. Now let's go back to James and I want to share a number of truths that we find in this passage. And if we go back to James chapter one, uh, James chapter three, and we'll read a little bit through that. The first two verses remind us of this important truth it is that you and I are accountable for every word we speak. James says here, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And we reminded you in the last time we met that this is really talking about that there shouldn't be many teachers, many people in authority in the church. Not that we shouldn't teach one another and there shouldn't be any teaching in the church, but he's saying you need to understand there's a responsibility, there's accountability that comes with, and I recognise this as a pastor, as a teacher in the church, because you're going to be under greater scrutiny, there's a greater responsibility, and, and that as teachers of the word of God, you will give an account of what you say and how that affects others. But it doesn't just limit to myself as a pastor. All of us are accountable for the words we speak. There is not a word that we speak that we can't say, we didn't say it, right? I mean, we can, if someone else said, you said that, and they may have heard wrongly or they accused you of something, but if we said something, we have to own up to it. We said it, whatever it was that we said. And uh, I don't know, if you ever thought about what it would be like if, if we could put a, I've got a microphone on me now, how would it be if I could, we could, each of us had a microphone on and a little recorder and throughout the entire week, uh, this next week, everything that you said was recorded. And then we came back next week and we said, okay, now let's sit down and listen to uh, everything that was said or even the highlights or the lowlights of what was said. That would make us feel pretty uncomfortable, wouldn't it? If, if someone would do that to us to record everything that we said. But here's what the scripture says. In Psalm 139, it says, There is not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, know it altogether. God knows our hearts. He knows, in fact, what we're going to say before we say it. He knows everything that's in us. And every word that, he, uh, that we say, he remembers, believe it or not. He knows about it. Jesus said this, he said, But I say unto you that every idle, this is every lazy or careless word that men shall speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. For by thy words shall thou be justified, and by thy words shall thou be condemned. Now this is not talking about salvation uh, as such, but it's saying your words will either demonstrate your 
love for God or your hate for God, your love for the other person, your hate for the other person, you will be justified, proven to be good in what you have said by your words or shown to be evil. Words can do so much and we're accountable for every one of them. You know, there's words of selfishness, words of pride, uh, so many different areas, anger, criticism, hate, sarcasm, even ridicule, you know, the foolish or crass talking, lying, slander, gossip, they're all the, the evil things. But then there's also words of encouragement, words of hope, words that build up others. We don't like to think about the fact that we're going to be accountable for what we say because it's really challenging, it's really convicting. And often what we do is we just live in the moment. We say whatever comes to mind and comes out. And like we saw here, you then maybe regret what you say, but you go, okay, well, that's in the moment. Doesn't matter. Move on. I'll say I'm sorry. You know, that's it. Well... Proverbs reminds us that he that keeps his mouth keeps his life, that he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. I'm reminded that the more words I speak, the more potential I have to say something uh, wrong, hurtful. So sometimes it's good for us to be, as James said, to be quick, uh, quick to listen and slow to speak, to think about the words that we would say. You and I are accountable for every word we speak, it says in uh, verses 1 and 2. In fact, it says here that in many things we offend all. Look, all of us do this. All of us offend in what we say. Um, But if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Now, we know nobody's perfect, but this is talking about mature. If we want to be mature, then our lives have to be ones that have speech that is governed and guarded and uh, directed by God. If we're able to control our speech, we're told we're able to control our whole body. Really, our life is what we're saying here. And this is the second point I want us to look at in verses 3 and 4. Your words, firstly, it's again, your words, you're accountable for every word that you speak. Secondly, you will, your words will influence the course of your life and the course of other people's lives. Let's read verses 3 and 4. It says, Behold, in other words, pay attention. We put bits in horses' mouths. Now, everybody's seen a horse and they put the bridle in the bit in the mouth. And it's, if, does anybody see what a bit is? It's just a piece of metal that goes across the horse's mouth, goes is it over or under their tongue. can't remember. Um, been years since I've, we used to have horses back on the farm years ago. But you put that in their tongue and it holds. And through that, by pulling with the reins left and right, you can turn this massive horse, it was a powerful horse, it will go the direction that you want. That's essentially what he's saying. So by something very small can control the direction of something very large. And he goes on for an even greater example and says, you know, we have great ships. Now, back then they had big sailing ships and things like that. Today we have these massive ships. You know, there's the largest ships in the world have, can hold thousands and thousands of containers. And they are steered by, and today some case several of them, but even big ship, many big ships only have one single rudder. This, the rudder is only sort of, you know, perhaps 1% of the size of the ship. But that rudder controls where the ship goes. And what he's telling us is that our words will influence the course of our lives and the course of others. And everybody knows this. I mean, think of there's been words have changed the course of history. Wars have been started because of words. Wars have been finished because of words. 
there have been new inventions, new discoveries that because someone said something, someone you know, heard something from that. And so it has affected life in a grand scale and we know that our words do that and have done that all the time. That's when we look at the, the big things of the world. But what about the little things in our lives? Well, the words that we speak and the words that are spoken to you have shaped your life. Think about when you were a, a little child. Think about what uh, maybe parents, friends, family, teachers said to you, you know, hey, you're really good at this. Maybe you should do that. Or we're not much of a sporting family, so, you know, we don't do that. And say, so, you know, okay, I'm not much of a sporting family. I won't follow that. All these different things. It could be words that are not, you know, they're not uh, critical words. Although, again, they could be critical words. You know, you'll never amount to anything. Uh, you know, these sorts of things that have come out. All of that, because that words, we receive those words, we think on those words, we make choices on those words, affects our lives. And then we have to understand the words that we speak to others, be it to uh, a child, a husband, a wife, uh, a friend, anybody that we know, when we speak, it can have and will have an effect on their life. There's plenty of examples in the Bible of this, and uh, we think about people like Joseph. I mean, Joseph told about his dreams to his family. Think that changed the course of his life? You know, I'm not saying whether that was a good or a bad thing that he did, but when he said that, they, he got, his brothers got upset with him, sold him into slavery. 20 years later, he's in, in Egypt. But God used all of that for good. There's a guy um, named uh, Jacob in the Bible, and remember when he was trying to deceive uh, his father, about who would get the blessing. Do you think that that changed the course of his life? Yes, it did. It's a guy named Jephthah, with all the J's in, in, the, in the Old Testament. He made this rash vow about something he was going to do, and that changed the, the course of his family's life forever as well. Certainly, words do have an effect on the way that we live and will can change our life from one direction to another completely. Think about words like this. Marry me. You know, well, will you marry me? I don't know if that's I do. <laughs> uh, you're hired. You're fired. You know, I'm expecting all these sorts of things. Do they have an effect on your life? Yes, I know there's actions behind those. But, you know, those are the words. They're the words that change the course of our life. I'm leaving. It's over. Those sorts of things. You know, they are words that uh, have and change and influence the course of our lives. Words are life-changing they will affect the course of your life. Not only what people say to you, but what um, others, what you say to others as well. Well, thirdly, I want us to understand that uh, our words or your words will affect the character of your relationships. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 here. It says, Even so the tongue is such a little member and boasteth great things. Now, when we talk about the tongue... It's this piece of uh, muscle that we have in our mouth, but we know that it's not our, it just as it's not the nozzle on the silly string there that caused it, it's, that's really connected to us and ourselves. But he's saying just this little thing, this little tongue can get us into so much trouble or it can do a lot of good too. In Proverbs 18, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. What this proverb is telling us is that you've never spoken a neutral word. Your words always have a direction to them. Your words are either moving in a life direction, they're words of hope, of peace, reconciliation, 
encouragement, forgiveness, wisdom, instruction, truth, those sorts of things. Or your words are going in a death direction. They are words of condemnation and anger and malice and slander and gossip and criticism and judgment. Now, we've been going through um, the... We, a while ago, we were going through about looking at encouragement. We know there is a part of uh, admonishing and rebuking and warning people in love. So it's not to say that all speech is positive. But certainly, there is a direction in our words. You can be lovingly correcting someone or you can be doing it in a way that is manifesting death. And the whole thing of this is we mustn't back away from the power of the words that we speak. We can't just say, oh, well, that's okay, you know, it doesn't really matter what I say. Or they'll understand, they know I love them anyway, they'll get over it. We need to think about the words. You know, I said the last time, there's that saying, old children saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Nothing can be further from the truth, can it? I mean, let's face it, long after you get the bruise from a punch or something like that that, um, that goes away, long after that is healed, there's wounds from the heart that live on in your life and they live on with power. I'm going to uh, think, about, think about this, you know, in a moment of frustration, we saw those exploding things, in the moment of frustration and maybe exhaustion, you know, I know that we get tired and things like that, but when we maybe blurt out to our spouse or our children or our parents or something like that, we just blurt out something that just comes out and we say things that really we should never have said and things that should never be heard, how is that affecting the others around us? it will affect the character of our relationships. And as I said, yes, you can say sorry, there is forgiveness. But as we saw here, you can't take those words back. Now I want to give you, I want to have a little demonstration of this, and I'm almost, don't want to do this to you, but uh, you'll, you'll get the point of it. And I want you to think for a moment, what is the most hurtful thing that someone has said to you, perhaps in the last week, month, year, or even ever? Stop for a moment. Just, What is the most hurtful thing that someone has said to you either recently or sometime in the past? Can you think of it? How long did it take to remember something? Can anybody put your hand up and not think of something? Point taken. Now that might have been last week, that might have been last month, that might have been 20 years ago, but you still remember it. And you say, okay, God's grace can forgive that, and he, it can, but it doesn't take away the hurt, the pain, the stinging of that. Now, let's try something else. Can you think of something encouraging that someone has said to you recently? Um, something that said recently, or most, perhaps the most encouraging thing that you said. Was that, is that easier or harder? How many of you are still thinking of the, thing, the hurtful thing? that was said, because that's often how we are. I mean, we, it's, it's harder for us to remember the encouraging things. The hurtful things, they stick, and uh, we have to remember that. So our words are powerful. Our words can cut. In fact, the, you know, the more, it's like some said, have said, like, you know, with uh, words, our tongue can be like the knife. The more we use it and the more it, it gets rubbed up against, it can sharpen more. 
and uh, we have to be careful about the words that we speak. This is what he's telling us. In fact, he says here in verses 5 and 6, he said that uh, the tongue is a little matter and bursteth great things. Behold how little matter a fire, a a little matter, a little fire, greater matter, a little fire kindleth. Got that right eventually. We live in a country where we know that very well because we've had pretty immense bushfires which have taken millions of acres, thousands of livestock, even lives, homes have been started because someone maybe threw a cigarette butt out the window of a car. Uh, Something little can have a great effect. And this is what you see throughout... It's, it's maybe some simple words that someone has said that then has a reaction and a chain reaction and that reacts even more. Sometimes that can be something as, as little as a rumour that's passed on you know, or a word of gossip or slander and something is passed on and then it gets passed on again and you know what it's like, the old Chinese whisper story and then it gets passed on and passed on and blown out of proportion and before you know it, um, people's lives are changed and ruined because of it. So... You know, this is, this is what James is, is confronting us with. He's saying that um, our tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It can be that. Right? It doesn't have to be that. But we know that often it can be. It defileth the whole course of the body, set on course of fire, and is set on fire of hell. They are really strong words. And, and what he's pointing out to it is that, you know, it is... Our tongues can, our words can cause great damage. We're accountable for the words that we speak. Our words will affect the course of our lives and others. Uh, Our words will affect the character of our relationships. Verses 7 and 8 give us this simple uh, conclusion. It says that you alone will never be able to tame your tongue. Here it says, uh, for every kind of beasts and birds and serpents and all things uh, is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. It's funny if you look on the internet, people have the most incredible pets. You know, people learn how to train and keep stick insects, cockroaches, pigs, lions, tigers, anything, all sorts of animals uh, that people keep as pets. They've been able to train them and keep them. You know, I'm thinking cockroaches, how do you train and keep a cockroach? You know, snails, also little hermit crabs, all this sort of stuff. It's incredible how people can over time tame that. But he's saying when it comes to the tongue, you can't do it. It's impossible. Well, what hope is there for us then? If that is the case, if we can never tame our tongue, we might as well just give up, hey? Might as well just say, well, I am who I am. People just got to get with it. This is just my personality. I can't help it. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I don't mean these things when I say it, but it's just, it's just, I, you know, it's just who I am. Well, God says there is help. There is a solution to this. And this is verses 9 through 12. And really, this is the whole key to it. It's the final point. It's a very, very important point. And it brings together all those other points that I've mentioned into a practical place. And here it is, James is arguing and God is arguing that your words always reveal the true character, the condition of your heart. He says here, with our tongue we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse men 
which are made after the similitude of God. Here we are, we're praising God as, as believers, as Christians, we're saying, God, you're great, you're wonderful. And then we will curse a, uh, a person, another person, who is made in the image of God. And, and what he's saying is, these things ought not be. You can't say you love God, as Jesus said, and hate your brother. Right? Uh, it doesn't add up. One of those things is revealing the true character of your heart. And he goes on to here to say that does a, a fountain bring forth sweet and bitter water at the same time? There's a fruit tree, and he uses this example, and this is used a few times in Scripture, and even Jesus uses this. Uh, he says that every tree is known by its fruit. You know, we walk up to uh, an apple tree and we are going to get apples from it. Why? Because right at the root of it, it's an apple tree. The very heart of it, it's, we know it's appleness, so to speak. Or you know, if it's an orange tree, we know that it's, it's an orange tree. It's, that's its whole makeup, is that it's an orange tree. You don't go to an apple tree and think that you're going to get oranges from it, um, and vice versa. What comes out of what fruit is, is revealed really goes back to the heart of the matter of what it is. And this is what... Um, James is saying, whatever is in your heart will rule your words. Jesus said this. He said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. I mean, we don't want to really accept that, do we? Because we think that, okay, if that really, if, if, it's, if, if we have our words and our words are like this, this is showing us something about ourselves that we don't like. I don't want to believe it. I want to think that the problem exists outside of me, that the problem is not inside of me. But James and God is saying, I'm revealing to you, your words reveal the true character, the true condition of your heart. You've never spoken a word that has not come out of your heart. It, it always, that's where, where it originates. It comes from there. Word problems are heart problems. And we cannot just, this is why James says you can't tame your tongue. We cannot just say, I'm going to change my vocabulary, I'm going to clean up my language, I'm going to try not to be this. And, and you know, there's an effort that sometimes we'll do that. We will watch our words. Uh, it's good that we try to do that. I have up the back, and you can take one if you want, some scriptures. You know, again, as we all want to grow and change in our words, the, the Bible has so much to say about our words and our tongue. And I've put together here five, six pages just of scriptures, and these are only a few of them, that you can get some later on and read. And these are good to think about, to meditate on. But, you know, just alone we're not going to be able to say, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to change who I am. God says you can't. It comes back to your heart. The real problem is that we have this battle. We have a battle between we want to love God and we have this battle as Christians, we say it's between our old nature and our new nature, and it's this battle that goes on within. We are not going to be able to deal with that unless we understand that first. So as we come to James 3, it is, it's, it's quite frightening in one sense, but it shouldn't be frightening to us, because what it's actually telling us, God puts this in front of us a bit like a mirror so we can look at ourselves, and what he's telling us is that... Uh, you know, you've got to come outside your own little self-defined kingdom trying to live life in your own strength and your own means. You can't do it. You need God. You need God to change you. I've tried this before. I'm not going to say anything for today because I might say something wrong. 
or I'm, I'm going to watch what I say for the next uh, week or whatever, and I'll just, I won't talk to him. You know, there's, in Psalm 39, I won't go there, but you can read it later on, David saying, he starts off by saying, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to hold my mouth. I'm angry, and I'm just going to hold it all in, and I'm not going to say anything. And then by the end of it, he just bursts out to God saying, God, you know who I am. You know my, how weak I am, how frail I am. And that's really what God wants us to do. He wants us to, to understand that no man can tame the tongue, but he can. And it starts with us owning up our, to our helplessness. We are helpless when it comes to our tongue. We are helpless, but there is hope. There is hope in God because God says that he, and he said this in the Old Testament, he said, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll take away the stony the hardened heart out of your flesh, not of your flesh, and I'll give you a, a heart of flesh, a soft heart. And when God, we allow God to reign and to rule in our lives, when we trust Jesus Christ firstly as our Savior, that's the first step in all of this. But then we allow God to rule and reign in our lives. He can change us. He can mould us, because He's going to work from the inside out. We can try here. We could tape up our mouths. We could do all sorts of things. We could. But that's not going to stop it because it comes from in, in there. And what really God is saying is we need to come to him. We need to say, I need your help, God. I need your forgiveness. I need your rescue. I need your grace. And God says, you know, if you come to me and you, if, you can, if we confess our sins, he says, he's faithful and just for, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You see, Jesus Christ was the perfect example. In First Peter, we're told, 1 Peter 2.21, Here and unto you to call, because Christ has suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. This is what Jesus did. We couldn't do this, but Christ can do this in us. Who did no sin, right? we've all sinned. Neither there was any guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled... People were abusing and, and saying things about him. You know, people do that. People even do that today. Today, we meet in churches around the world and there are millions of people praising the name of Jesus, but you, know, you and I know that there are a million people that are blaspheming the name of Jesus as well today. Jesus knows what it's like to be all spoken of. Back then and even now, it says that when he reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges rightfully. He was the one that was able to be perfect. And because of his perfection, we can, he can work in us and help us and change our heart. His perfection was demonstrated by his talk. There was no deceit in his mouth, as I said. He lived that perfect life for you and me, and then he laid down that life in our place. And so today, as we come to God, we need to remember that we need his help. We need his forgiveness we need his grace, and God says, I offer it to you through Jesus Christ. So, you know, we're really in one or two places here. We can either try and justify and minimize our speech. We can say, hey, it doesn't matter, or no, I, this is because of this, or we can, we can confess it. We can just fall on the grace of God, look at ourselves and say, God, I need your help with this. And this is where I am at today, and I think we all are. We, we need to know that God does offer grace. He will rescue us. He's not going to say, well, that's it, too bad, you've messed up, no more help for you, no more grace for you. 
there is hope. We're told that his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect. It's made perfect in our weakness. We need to acknowledge our weakness. Just finally this morning, if you've been in a situation where, or even at the moment, where you're just people, you are getting harsh words spoken to you and you have no control over that. Maybe it's in a situation where someone else is just belittling you or giving you harsh words. I want you to know today that Jesus Christ knows what's that like. He knows that he knows what you're going through. And as it says here, and I mentioned before, we shouldn't rail evil for evil. We should not retaliate. Jesus didn't retaliate. Uh, I'm not saying just bottle it all in and keep it to yourself. It's good to talk to others about it. We need to talk to others. But ultimately, we need to talk to God. We need to go to God. He knows what that person is saying about you. He knows what that person has, has done. Whether that person is... Forgiving or not, we just need to remember that God can be our strength. Just as when we speak, we need the the words, we need God's help with our speech. We also need God's help and God's grace to to live in situations where we may be receiving hard words as well. And we need to, as it says, pray for those who persecute us, who curse you, who despitefully use you. By showing Christ to them, we, can, we, we can't be guaranteed that they will change, but we know that God can use that as an example for himself. So that's my message today in James, and it's really God's message to us, is that faith, a true life of faith, trusting God in this situation, is the only way by which we're going to be able to control our tongue. And this is a message really for each one of us. It's not a message that we need to go to someone and say, well, you really need to hear this. I know we all, you know, we hear this uh, today. We need to take it in for ourselves and, of course, not just be hearers of the word but doers of the word. Again, my, my intent this morning is not to discourage you but to encourage you, to, to remind you that Jesus Christ is there. He's waiting to help you and he can help you and he's the only one that can and that you need him. We all need him. And we're so thankful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And though we continue to struggle with sin, Jesus is the answer and the hope to the problems we face in life. And he will never leave us or forsake us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for uh, your word this morning. As we think about what has been said here through your word to us, We also think about the words that we have spoken to each other in the last week, perhaps even, and we confess that we do struggle with our language, our tongue. Uh, Lord, even though there might be many times we say good things, Lord, we also know that there's times when we might say things, not even the words we say, it's how we say it sometimes too. We know those things reveal to us our heart, And uh, we confess, Lord, that our hearts are sick, wicked, as your word says, but, Lord, that you can work in our hearts and you can transform us and that we need your love and your grace and your power in our lives. We thank you that that has come through salvation in Jesus Christ, not from what we've done, but what from you you have done. Help us to remember that that same saving grace we need every day, every minute of our lives. Help us to pray for those who may be uh, harsh in their words toward us. Help us, Lord, to be as 
as you were, Lord, not to retaliate, but, Lord, just to commit it all to the Father, to, to, to God, to that, knowing that he is the righteous judge. And that we know help us also to realize that we are accountable for the words we speak and we will be accountable. So we ask for your help today. Lord, help us to be people of praise, people of joy, people of rejoicing. That we would rejoice and praise you, but we would also uplift and build up one another as well in love, as your word tells us, that as our hearts are joined to one another and to you. We thank you and pray that you will get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.